Hello, welcome to the West Side Podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for tuning in. I am so excited to be back uh, here this morning uh, and working through Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis 22 today. Um, as we continue on in the, this story, um, before we dive in, I'm just going to pray. And we're going to, we will get into it. Uh, Lord, we thank you for um, the privilege that it is to uh, just to be together and to open your word together. Um, and we just ask that you come and meet us here uh, in this time as we, as we read, as we hear. Um, uh, would you help us to uh, be honest with ourselves and honest with you um, about where we're at and about the places that you're calling us to? May we have um, just open eyes. Lord, would you give us uh, soft hearts and sharp minds that we may hear and be changed? Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Genesis 22 um, is, a, is a very well-known um, passage to, uh, to many. It's a, it's a story that uh, we've heard uh, likely a, a number of times. And just going over it this week, I was reminded, man, we could preach this from five different angles and like not exhaust the text. There is so much going on uh, in this particular story. Uh, today, I want to uh, pay particular attention to God as the one who both tests and provides. God, the one who tests and provides. Genesis 22 starts out like this. So sometime later, God tested Abraham, and there, there's our word, tested, nasah in, in Hebrew. There's a couple of different words um, in that little sphere of, of testing uh, that, that occur throughout the Old Testament. Uh, um, and testing, it, it's something that to us, maybe at first blush, doesn't necessarily sound um, too appealing, <laughs> Right? Uh, why, why do we need a God that, that has to test us? Can't God just leave us alone, let us be, and invite us into faith, and then just like let us have that faith, right? What's this testing business? Well, testing is a pretty common thing, actually, throughout, not just the Old Testament, but throughout all of Scripture. This is not something that, this is not one of those things that we get to leave in the Old Testament and be like, oh, it was for those folks. Uh, this carries over into the New Testament as, as well, and we're going to see that towards the end of our, our time together today. But testing is, is common for, uh, for Israel because they, they live in a syncretistic society, in a, uh, in a society where the worship of many gods is just sort of the norm. And so in this, um, in this context of their God, Yahweh, calling th them to faith, 
there is on occasion a test of faith to see like, are you truly devoted to this one God or have you just added God onto your other interests? Have you added God into your just like pantheon of other gods that you've um, started worshiping? And that could sound like a nice like ancient idea, but I think, I think it's one that we ought to be quite aware of ourselves. Have we turned God into, have we let God just be an add-on to the rest of our lives, the other little gods that we worship, maybe small g gods, the other little things that we worship that take up our attention, our devotion, all of that. Have we added God, the God of Scripture, the God who has saved us, have we added him onto the rest of those things? Or have we said, I'm going to seek first your kingdom. And on occasion, God provides us with a test <laughs> to uh, determine where our, our heart is at. And honestly, it's not so much for God to discern as it is for us to have like a little bit of a wake-up call sometimes. So he tests Abraham. And he says, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as, as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. Interestingly, um, this is the very first time that the word love and the word uh, sacrifice show up in scripture. Fascinating that they show up together. Um, fascinating that... Um, now, for the rest of Scripture and for the rest of eternity, those two concepts are not going to be able to wiggle away from one another. You cannot get a full picture of love without marrying it to the concept of sacrifice. For all of the stuff that we make love about, sacrifice has to be at, at the top, that finds its embodiment in a particular figure that we will look at later on in this story. Love and sacrifice. M matched together here in this sort of jarring command of God, right? Take your son, your only son, the son whom I told you you were going to have and who you did not have for the longest time. And then you kept not having him and you kept not having him. And you didn't think that I was going to come through and then I did. And now this son that you have, will you go and give him up for my sake? Admittedly, this is a really difficult like concept to... Um, to chew on, to, to think of God asking a father to give up uh, a son. And I just want us today to work through the passage and see what it actually says about this story. We have this tendency when it comes to difficult passages to, um, we get a little antsy sometimes. We get to a, a verse like this or a concept or, or something that makes us uncomfortable. We, we kind of want to shy away in some ways. We do a few things with, with difficult or uh, complex passages. Sometimes we, we want to just avoid them altogether. Uh, sometimes we want to sanitize them just to make it a little bit more comfy for us. Or, or sometimes we want to um, 
in, a, in an attempt to justify what the text is saying. We, we want to over-explain. Uh, but we should not do any of those things. Let's not avoid. Let's not sanitize. Let's not over-explain. Let's not avoid. Let's not just say, here's something I hear quite a bit today, honestly, it is, oh, I, I don't want a God who, fill, fill in the blank. I, I could not handle a God who, who, fill in the blank. That statement, I think, often comes from a, a good place, a good heart. Like, here's my sense of morality and the things that, the way that things ought to be, my sense of justice and ethics and, and all of those things. And when God seems to be behaving outside of those boundaries, that makes me uncomfortable. I couldn't have a God who does that. I, that heart is a good, good thing. I want to say, if, if we get to a point where we say, I can't have a God who, let's use that as a moment to pump the brakes and take a step back and say, Maybe how, let, let's take a humble pill for a moment and say, maybe how have my uh, perspectives uh, shaded the way, perhaps somewhat tainted the way that I have started to come to scripture? Am I using a, a human-centric lens? And as we've talked about a number of times so far to this point in Genesis, am I using a particularly modern Western lens to read my Bible? <clears throat> when in reality, this text was written at a very different time and is explaining to us God in a way that maybe we just aren't ready for. And maybe we're the ones who need to do the adjusting and not God, right? So let's not just avoid a text because it's difficult. But let's also not sanitize a text because it's difficult. Let's not pretend that the difficult parts aren't there because it's usually the difficult parts where God is inviting us into some sort of transformation, some sort of change that we, that we desperately need. So we're going to read the whole passage this week. <clears throat> By the way, I appreciate Tom not reading all of Sodom and Gomorrah last, last week. I think that was a tasteful and wise decision on his part. This is not a commentary on that at all. I think this, let's, all, let's be wise about it for sure. But let's not avoid, let's not sanitize, but let's also not over explain. Sometimes we get um, anxious with difficult passages that we, we seek to um, paste together explanations um, that aren't actually there. So let's let the text say what it's going to say and not make it say what it's not saying. Okay, That would be my, my charge to us this morning. So let's continue on. Abraham gets this, this charge from God, this test from God. Verse 3, it says, early the next morning, Abraham got up loaded his <clears throat> and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough food had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Now, isn't that interesting? We 
will come back to you. It's fascinating to me that we could read one verse in the story, take your son, your only son, and go sacrifice him, and immediately say, I can't have a God who asks his who asks a father to go give up his son. I can't do that. And we put the story down and walk away and say, I can't have a God like that. And then if we do that, we rob ourselves of the story. We rob ourselves of what is actually going on. Abraham understands that's not actually the directive of God. It is in one clear sense. But Abraham understands something much bigger is going on. And that's what we got to get that's where we have to get to. We have to understand something bigger going on. Don't let one verse scare you away. Let it draw you in. Look at this beautiful verse. We are going to come back to you. Abraham knows there's going to be a moment on that mountain. There is coming a deep and sincere test of his faith. And he does not know how it's going to go, but he does know that he is coming back with his son. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac and he carried the fire, the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father, Yes, my son. (laughs) It had been quiet for some time at this point. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. Uh, The fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt sacrifice? Isaac's a smart kid. He's like, uh, like, I... I see where this is going, but I don't, I don't totally see how we're getting from, from point A to point B. And I, I think of any verse um, on the faith of Abraham. We've seen Abraham to this point in the story be a, a faithful character, and, but not a flawless one, right? One who's made some pretty boneheaded mistakes. Um, but some also like very human, very normal mistakes. Um, this, this verse is remarkable. Abraham answers, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Notice God will provide. That is a statement of faith lacking a whole lot of detail. Talk about answering the question without answering the question, right? (laughs) God will provide. God will provide. But this is not like a Jesus juke, God will provide sort of uh, situation. This is not just getting away from, this is not trying to avoid the issue, but it's an honest answer. Abraham's not going to give Isaac any more of an answer than he already knows himself. He, does, he doesn't know. He, he does not know. All he can go on is that little sliver that he does know, which is that God will provide. It's the same statement as 
we will come back to you in a few days. Abraham has no clarity on how this thing will work out, but he is still holding on to this hope that God will somehow make it work out. God will provide. You know, one of the things that has stood out to me as we've gone back, as we've gone through the story of Genesis this time around, as I've revisited the story of Abraham, this like central figure of faith in all of scripture, one of the things that has really stood out to me is how much the biblical concept of faith uh, relies on this whole world of ambiguity and stepping into unknowns and things that we aren't quite clear about, all things that we struggle with mightily. We have a really, really hard time with ambiguity. We love our black and white answers. We love our surety. We love knowing what is next. And here we have this first major figure in scripture is there to show us you are not always going to have it. In fact, most often, the black and the white is going to be blurred into some measure of gray. And faith is in the midst of that saying, I'm going to take another step forward. I'm going to follow what I believe God has called me to in this instance. Psalm 37, uh, the psalmist says it like this, commit your way to the Lord Trust in him, and he will act. This is Abraham living out this verse right here. It's Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on your own tendency towards black and white. But in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will, in the midst of the whatever, he will make your past right. He will act. We are starting to get a hint that maybe this passage is not so much about Abraham as it is about God. The faithfulness of God. We, we have this, this natural propensity to disbelieve God's provision, right? And we, we do this in so many ways. We do this in so many ways, but we could probably boil it down to two, right? We disbelieve God's provision when we straight up fear that God will not, in fact, provide. Uh, I've been around this corner this many times. God said this was going to happen, and this hasn't happened. And I'm starting to wonder if it ever will. Abraham went through this, Genesis 15, in the covenant passage. It's been too long, and I, I'm, not, I'm just not quite sure God is going to provide at all. I'm not even sure if God cares anymore. We disbelieve God's provision when we fear that he will not actually provide, and we disbelieve God's provision when we worry that he will provide, but just not in our way, in our time, in the manner that we seem to prefer. Abraham 
has for a moment suspended those fears and those worries and just simply continued to march up the mountain with no answer at all. Just the supplies to carry out what God has called him to do. This is the point in the movie where the music starts swelling and your heart starts to beat a little bit and you're like, what is actually going to happen? The drama is building and something's got to give. Verse 9. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. <coughs> do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up. And there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its thorns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, Yahweh, Yurah. Fascinating, that, that word that gets translated provide is just the Hebrew word to see. I love that. Ra'ah, uh, that God, God will see to it that it's going to happen. The Lord is going to see to it. Also, the Lord sees you. He's going to provide. To this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from us from heaven a second time. And he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous, <coughs> as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and your offspring, all nations, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. This should sound familiar at this point. God and Abraham have had this part of the conversation a couple of times. This is, in some respects, this is not the end of um, Abraham's life, but it is, uh, in some ways, it, it, within the book of Genesis, this chapter 12 through 22, this is in some ways the end of the bulk of the, the Abraham narrative. And what we have here is a nice inclusio from the very beginning of chapter 12, when God calls Abraham and says, your descendants are going to be the ones who are going to multiply throughout the earth and they are going to bless the rest of the earth. Now we come to the very end of that section and Abraham has in some sense, again, not perfectly, but he has withstood the test. He has shown his faith in God. This is, this is us seeing the two parts of the covenant relationship kind of at both at their fullest. 
God is the one who establishes the covenant, establishes the terms, establishes all of the blessings. And then Abraham has to be the willing participant, has to go along with, has to keep up with the stipulations of the covenant. And here, better than anywhere else, Abraham does it. He checks the box. He does it, he does it right. And yet, even still, the story is not about how well Abraham holds up his end of the bargain, but instead how God is the one sustaining Abraham through it all. The God who tests is also the God who provides. This is a story more about the faithfulness of God, more about God's eagerness and willingness and interest in blessing all peoples through this one man, through this one nation. It's far more about that than anything else. And Abraham is then able to go home. I mentioned earlier this concept of, of testing, of God testing his people is not merely an Old Testament uh, concept. Uh, if you've got your Bible, turn over to 1 Corinthians 10, which is one of the, one of the better known <laughs> verses that uh, in our lexicon of, of God testing and, and whatnot, his people. 1 Corinthians 10. Verse 13. In Genesis 22, God is the one who tests and God is the one who provides. Listen to what Paul does with those two concepts. This is, this is about the Old Testament story. Paul is in this passage, in 1 Corinthians 10, using Israel, using that story, the people of God in the Old Testament, he's using that as a foil to say, like, here's how you ought to learn how not to and how to live your life of faith. Listen to the two concepts that come up here. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. God is faithful. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted. And that word tempted is the same word as tested in the, in the New Testament. He won't let you be tempted or tested, however you want to configure that, beyond what you can bear or beyond your own strength. Uh, just real quick, this verse does not say God will not let you have something you can't handle. Right? God will not God won't God won't give you something you can't handle. That is not what this says. What it says is that you will not be tested beyond what you can bear. You will not be tested beyond what God has given you the strength for. But when you are tempted, he will also what? Provide. He will provide. Paul is a man deeply steeped in the Old Testament scriptures, in the Hebrew scriptures. And he has forever made a link in his heart, in his mind, between the God who tests and the God who provides. 
And so that he links them right here. When you are tested, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. Not, not a way out so that you don't have to feel it, but a way out so that you can endure it. These two seemingly competing elements of who God is, the testing and, and the providing, we, we should think carefully about what part are we drawn to and what part makes us a little bit wary when it comes to God. We may not like a God who tests, and that's, that's fair. That's kind of a human thing. We don't like to be tested just in general. I say test, and everyone from you to my college students, they're just kind of the hair stands up on the back of their neck. Nobody, nobody likes that word. But God does test his folks, and sometimes we just want to avoid that all together. Or maybe you struggle with the idea that God is provider because oh, maybe it's because you would like to have the credit for being the one who provides. Maybe, maybe you and I like our, our competencies. We like our ability to, to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps when God is, is saying, will you let me provide for you in ways that you couldn't on, on your own? I said earlier, when we come to difficult passages, it's important not to over-explain. And I think that's really the case here. I, there is a mystery to who God is at work in Genesis 22 that we can't fully unravel. And I, I want us to like sit in that tension of the testing and providing God and just let that be for a moment. And know that that is not always the easiest thing to handle. It's not always the easiest thing to get through our, our thick heads and our hard hearts. But it is true of God nonetheless. That he will test and he will provide. And the more that we lean into those things, the more that we will see God working in ways that we wouldn't have otherwise. Abraham could have contrived a solution to that situation in the way that he had before. Abraham had gone around that. <laughs> he'd gotten around what God had called him to a number of times before, and it, it, it had not gone well. And in this moment, he says, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to go along with this God who commands wild, wild things and yet provides in wild, wild ways nonetheless. I think the more that we think about, oh, this God who tests, this God who provides, the more we think about which one are we drawn to and which one are we a little bit wary of, the more we think about that, the more will come up in our own hearts. Like, what is it? What is it about me, maybe, that, that has made that difficult for me? Ultimately, this story gets us ready for another story. There will be another promised son who carries wood on his back up a hill to be a sacrifice that God has desired. 
as beautifully as these Old Testament stories prefigure Jesus. Um, we always get to the end of them, and it feels a little bit incomplete. It feels a little bit like it's not quite there, not quite. <clears throat> and that is perfect, because it's meant to leave us a little bit unsatisfied until we get to the one who is fully love and is fully sacrifice and has fully been tested and is ultimately our provision. The one who can embody all of those things all at once. And he does so on the cross and he does so when he raises again. It's Jesus. It moves us towards that the, we ought to be letting each of these stories always move us forward to the ultimate fulfillment. And so we get to end our service today um, with communion, with um, a celebration. We're going to sing nothing but the blood again to focus our hearts on the sacrifice of Jesus. Worship team, you can come on. As we sing through um, this song, um, I'm going to invite you to come on up and, and grab um, the elements. And as the song goes along, you can um, kind of return to your seat and take them on, uh, take the elements in your own time. Um, I, I encourage you to do so reflectively, keep, keeping in mind that the testing and provision of who God is, how is that like? drawing you out? How is that like speaking to your heart um, in this moment? Uh, another chapter over in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul, um, <clears throat> Paul says this, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The body broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. Jesus Christ is that perfect sacrifice. And when God looks at you, God sees the cleansing and redeeming and healing work of Jesus first and foremost. He sees that first when he looks at you. And that, that work, that one who did that work, that is the one we come to worship when we come to the table. So let's do so and worship him this morning.